0: Welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Podcast and uh, I'm your host Parker Bennett from Royal LePage Westwind Realty and we also have the great realtor Philippa Thiessen in the house.
1: (laughs) How are you doing Philippa? Doing well, thank you.
0: Yeah, tell us a little bit bit about yourself.
1: Um, Well, I'm with Royal LePage Westwind just like you are. Yeah. Yep. And uh, love my job. Got another company. Love that.
0: Yeah, tell us about that. What is it?
1: Like I a own, run club? Well, I own an events company and we do runs and they're all experience-based runs. So, you know, running with wine, running at night, things like that, super fun.
0: Why don't you tell us about the Halloween run that my kids are going to go on?
1: Yeah, your kids are going to go on that for sure. Yeah. We're going to run through the corn maze around the uh, scary old doctor's houses and out through Troncule Farms.
0: I'm looking forward to it. And they're going to gonna
1: drag you along and you're going to be scared.
0: I'm already scared. <laughs> Trunk Hill Farm scares me in enough, as it is.
1: In the daytime, yeah.
0: Yeah. So we 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 drug down to the land of Down Under and we 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 found Emma.
2: Hi. How you doing, Emma? I'm doing pretty good actually.
0: So why don't you like tell people like what your role is with us?
2: So I am primarily Parker's admin, but I also do admin for Philippa. Um, I do a lot of the paperwork that Parker doesn't want to uh, because I'm good at it. Um, I do a lot of fact-checking as well. I'm probably the best person in this office when it comes to research, and I'm laying down that challenge for anyone in the Royal LePage Westman office who wants to (laughs) challenge me. As well as technology.
0: Yeah, podcasting just happens to be your niche as well.
2: Yeah, a bit of background in audio as well. So I am running the uh, recording at the moment. So hopefully it's all going to go smoothly.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, The topic uh, this week, we're going to talk about first-time homebuyers. And so kind of my my thought process on this was that we would talk a little bit about some of the challenges that first-time homebuyers face, some of the challenges that first-time homebuyers are going to face in the future, uh, with with qualifying for a mortgage is going to become a little tougher in the in the next coming months. Um, and then maybe break down some of the steps that you could take as a first-time home buyer to try to improve the overall um, effectiveness and, let's say, expectation level of what it would be like to, to buy a home. So I, I'll just remember, I remember going back uh, when I was still in um, – Teenager, if you would call a 19-year-old a teenager, when I first bought my first place, um, I, I didn't need anything more than a credit card to get enough credit and a down payment to buy something. But today, it's it's a lot more difficult. If you if you look back 15 years ago, um, and you bought a house in Kamloops for 150,000, just for ease of numbers, today, if you did nothing, that property would probably be worth at least double, if not more, right? So yeah, it's really important to buy a house today as opposed to waiting for tomorrow. If you're like holding out because you want to see a market crash or you're holding out for a better down payment or saving some money so you can get a better house your first go around, my recommendation would be uh, jump in now because in 10 years, you know, you'll always look back and say, man, I wish I could have bought back in, 2017 2018 whatever
1: right yeah
0: so maybe just start out with some of the challenges and I know we both have some experiences we can draw on on this one but um, I don't know you have some first-time homebuyers right now
1: I do I have a couple of first-time home buyers um, I think what I'm encountering is that they are really struggling because it's very overwhelming there's a lot of uh, paperwork there's a lot of information. There's a lot of things that need to be done. Yeah. And there's a lot of sort of um, misunderstanding around when dates are due, like the difference between subject removal dates and completion possession dates, right? And what that all entails. So, you know, and one of the things too is, first of all, knowing what they can afford. Yeah. Encountering that sort of issue, like they need to be pre-qualified. They need to know what sort of houses they can take a look at.
0: Yeah, first step, first yeah. thing to do, really, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, as a challenge to first-time homebuyers, probably the best thing a first-time homebuyer could do is take some sort of seminar that's offered by, you know, a real estate company or even going online and just reviewing, you know, YouTube. There's lots of, like, first-time homebuyer mini-seminars that you could have. Or you could talk to us because we'd, we'd definitely help you through that process. Yeah. But um, being qualified for a mortgage and understanding what it is, you know, you can afford and what the expectation level is, what that first home is going to look like. You know, if you're in Kamloops and you've got a budget of 250000 and you're looking for a house with a garage and a picket fence and no maintenance and newer furnaces and roofs, you know, you're probably looking in the wrong you know, your expectation level is just not going to be at the right spot right which is which is difficult so you know one of the tools that we use is the map we have a, a map for purchasing a home um, and we give that to all our all our buyers so that they can kind of, kind of run through the process and I like to break it down into like three different provinces is what I call them okay and that first one would be being pre-qualified and you could even back it up a little bit further and you could say like, go find an agent to represent you first that would help you understand the process and walk you through the, the steps that you're going to take. Because if you don't know that you just don't know. Yeah. And you might just jump into like going to open houses and imagining what a mortgage is going to look like on a $450,000 house. Uh, you know, maybe you buy an app and you, you, you calculate it out, but you leave out closing costs and, and, um, you know, property transfer tax, or well, I guess property transfer tax technically wouldn't be applicable to most first-time home buyers, but um, there's definitely some hidden costs.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah why, don't, why don't we talk about some of those costs?
1: Okay. So, costs in general.
0: Maybe let's just talk about some some closing cost surprises that you may encounter when you're buying a house.
1: Okay. Well, just thinking of a couple of the clients that I have right now, and and that is one of the questions they always ask, like, so for example, you're doing an inspection on a house, well how much does your inspection cost, right, so you need to know those costs, you need to know um, the property transfer tax costs, right, there's cost of lawyers or notaries, whichever you choose to use, and quite often um, that, that varies so hugely, and people are a little bit frustrated by that, right. Yeah. Um, so that's something they sort of need to find out first. fees, um, if they're buying a condo, right, or a townhouse. Um, yeah, what else?
0: Well, let me just elaborate on inspections, as it's kind of something that's dear to my heart. The difference between, like, buying a single-family detached home and, let's say, buying an apartment, there's going to be, like, a real huge gap between what those inspection costs could be if you're buying if you're buying an apartment, maybe a three or four hundred dollar home inspection is probably gonna do you for your inspections but if you're buying let's say you're buying on the flip side a rural property where you may have a septic system uh, you may have a well mm-hmm. um, you yeah. may have survey issues because it's multiple acres maybe there's easements maybe you don't know where those easements are and it's rural land, so it's been loosely you know, governed over the years. Um, you may be in a termite-prone area and you might need to do a termite inspection. So you could have, well, plus the home inspection, you know, which could be even more if it's a rural property. Right. You could, you could spend easily $3,000 in inspections. On the flip side, if you're buying a strata property, like an apartment, let's say, on the flip flip side of it, you know, you could be 400 bucks. Yeah. It's just a matter of what... Your tolerance level is for a surprise, so I always tell people if 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 they're okay with repairing a septic system, you know, in five years or three years or two years, if you're okay with that or diagnosing it yourself, then then you know maybe just get the septic system pumped out and have a, a general inspection of the of the facility. But if that's something that's going to break you, like as a first-time home buyer, a ten thousand dollar bill is going to bust you in half you, you might want to spend $3,000 and get a septic inspection, a proper one. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: so, okay. What about those buyers who come in and say, well, you know what, my dad's going to take a look at it and that's going to be my inspection. Yeah. What do you tell your clients on that?
0: Well, that's a, you know, I, I dealt with that lots in a previous industry, right? So kicking the tires is basically what it is. You remember your dad and your first time you bought a car and he'd kind of look around and, you know, open the hood and slam it and pop the gas tank lid and and kick the tires and call her good, you know, rev it up. That's all you're doing. Yeah. Even if you're like, let's say a builder, a a prime example would be like your dad's a builder and he's going to evaluate the property. A builder builds houses and probably just like a very specific part of a house, but an inspector inspects the house. It's two totally different worlds. Right. You know, one is trying to figure out Troubleshoot the house, and one is trying to figure out, you know, where would I, where, where's the main beam, you know, where's the center support, where's the footings, right? So it's it's not even recommended that a builder would be an ideal guy to inspect a house. Mm-hmm. But then again, if your tolerance level is, you know, I can deal with a couple little surprises, and I just need to make sure that the foundation's good and the bones are good, then great. Right. You know, that's fine. Yeah. What about what about getting a mortgage? There's some costs there. There could be some costs there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, appraisal costs. Sometimes if you're getting hard money, like if you can't conventionally fall into a category that gets you a mortgage, but you're really motivated to buy a house, you might be looking at getting a premium on your mortgage and buying private money. Right. Which sometimes you pay up front. So the typical rule of thumb is like 1% up front. Kind of typical when you buy a commercial property. So if you're you're in a three or four hundred thousand dollar mortgage, you're going to pay three or four grand up front, just for someone to look at your your money. Right. That's not conventional money. Yeah, where you walk into a bank. But
1: yeah, but and things are changing, right? And you know the stress test with mortgage and people really need to look into that, right? Talk to a professional, right? Again, same thing. I had clients, and it was an issue. Well, you know, like. We're gonna put this much down. My dad says it's gonna be no problem. That's awesome. That's great that you have this much down. That's great that your dad says that, but let's just go and make sure. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah, there's a real difference between like your first time home buyer and your, you know, three, four house buyer that's been through the process a few times. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. if you've been through the process like in the last decade. Yeah. Because You know, every 10 years, the whole process gets kind of revamped. Yes. You know, 10 years ago, mortgage brokers were not the norm. Today, a mortgage broker is the only way to go, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, so what's going to, what's going to be like in 10 years? What's the stress test going to look like? Who knows? Well, the rumor is... Not great. (laughs) Yeah, the the rumor is that you're going to be like a 20% reduction in your, um, like a 20% increase in what that stress level is going to look like. So for every $100,000 that you could be approved for today, um, coming, this is maybe NDP-induced, but um, you're going to be 20% reduced on what you're qualified for. So that could totally change, you know, a conventional first-time homebuyer, what they're looking at.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's a, a significant difference in um, what they're looking at buying and what their expectations of their house are. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. I guess managing expectations is a lot different on a first-time buyer. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. And and managing expectations at the end, or at the completion of the sale, right. that day that they move in, right? They looked at the house, looked fantastic. They did the inspection, all good someone's still been living there for that next month or two months or whatever it is, yeah. and that new home buyer goes in and expects everything is gonna be exactly the same. Whereas quite often, you've had people living there for a couple of years, especially if they're tenants, and so things are not exactly the same. And uh, as a used house, there's gonna be things that are um, used.
0: Yeah. Yep, and dirty, you know. Mm -hmm. How many times do people pull out the stove and clean behind it or mm-hmm. the fridge,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, before they, they move out of their house? Right. You know, in a rental property, that's never going to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And there's holes behind the pictures that everybody took because they're moving. So they take their pictures and there's holes there. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's got to be expensive. You know what my favorite
0: is? What? My favorite is the couch. The couch rubs against the bol- the wall. And you don't see that when you're looking at the house.
1: Yeah.
0: But when the couch is gone, there's a massive line behind the couch.
1: Yeah.
0: And cheap imitation leather. I know this from experience because my old couch used to be this way. The cheap (laughs) imitation leather sticks to latex paint.
1: And pulls it with it. So when they move the couch, they take the paint with them. Yeah, it goes with it. so,
0: (laughs) So like a good inspector, he'd just pull the couch back and just have a peek at that when he's doing an inspection. Yeah as like a really good proactive way to sort of manage that expectation on move-in day. Yeah. Or if it's a real issue, you know, you can tackle it at a renegotiation, you know, center point of of the deal, right?
1: Right, right. So then what? The inspector just pulls the couch out and says, oh, sorry, I just ripped all the paint off your wall.
0: Well, no. I mean, if (laughs) if he's pulling it back and he can see that it's not coming, then at least then he can you know, ask for permission to like, can we move the couch so we can see what's behind (laughs) The seller's like,
1: no, you cannot move the couch.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The guilty party always speaks. Okay, so I'll just kind of like dive back into those three provinces that I talked about on the map. And I guess the first province is called the qualification process. Um, And I don't even know where I got this province from, but it it seems to... Well, it's a map. Yeah, it's a map, so it works well. I like it. So you, you 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 get qualified for your mortgage. I would say choose your realtor first because your realtor is going to quarterback all the different plays that are, need to take when you're purchasing a house. So they're going to kind of like move the ball in certain increments so that you just have to follow the lead of what the quarterback's doing.
1: Right,
2: and they'd probably have information on like mortgage brokers who are reputable in the area or preferred mortgage brokers because they know that they have a good track record.
0: Yeah. 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 I just jump off topic here really quick. We'll do the mortgage broker versus bank conversation. And the one thing that always comes to mind is that from a first time homebuyer's perspective, their parents probably didn't use a mortgage broker. And so they're like telling them, and I've sort of like stereotyped the first time homebuyer to being like somebody who's maybe... In their twenties, but that just tends to be like the norm. But their dad probably didn't use a mortgage broker. Or their parents didn't use a mortgage broker, so they're saying, you know, use you, use our bank, because you know bank right, is yeah. a grade A type mm-hmm. lending yeah. facility. But the problem is, from a real estate perspective, if 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 you need to do something or communicate with your bank, you're, you you got to book an appointment, which means you got to take time off work. To maybe submit some paperwork or to sign something. Mm-hmm. Whereas a mortgage broker is getting paid to get that mortgage done and he'll find a way to get stuff done. So like even if finding the best rates and being able to understand the mortgage lingo um, or having the option to find a better lender that gives you better rates or better terms on their mortgage, even that's that's all good. And that's why I would use a mortgage broker. But on top of that, I would say the serviceability is just far better.
1: Yeah, I think they're very much, you know, like like we are available to our clients at all hours. Yeah. Like you know, we get texts or phone calls, you know, until eleven o'clock at night, and mortgage brokers can do the same thing. You've got a question for them, you've got them on your text message, you can text them. Yeah. Right. Whereas with someone at the bank, you just can't do that.
0: I would almost go as far as saying, like most mortgage brokers, mm-hmm. the good ones. Yeah. There is some nine to fivers out there though. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of reverting back to the old banking system. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I always have this image of the bank where you have like the security guard at the door and he's sort of just deciding whether he's going to let you in or not. Like maybe you can do business with me. (laughs) (laughs) Those are old school days, but times have changed. Yeah. Okay. So going down that process of being qualified, getting qualified for a mortgage and finding out what it is that you are. What your availability to draw on a mortgage is, like what that number is going to be, whether it's two hundred or two fifty or five hundred or, or nine hundred. What amount of money can we be qualified to purchase? And then also, how much are you okay with spending? Like maybe you have a really high lifestyle, and you you don't want to go on your max side. You just right. want to play it really cool yeah. and safe. Whatever, qualifying that primarily your first step, and then you can move into like a search. An optimize search process, which in our world is what we call PCS. Emma, tell everybody how PCS works. In your best words.
2: Oh, way to put me on the spot there. Um, so PCS stands for Private Client Services. Uh, basically, it's directly linked to the Camloops Real Estate uh, Association, uh, known as CADRIA. And because of this, as soon as listings become available, they are available on PCS. When you go to conventional third-party sites like uh, mls.com or realtor.ca, they, because they're being advertised um, obviously across different boards and districts across Canada, uh, they need to go through other boards as well and can take two or three days to become available. And when you have a market that's as hot as what we've had this year, uh, by the time you get to two or three days, that property is sold.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's just a really good way to sort of organize your search so that you're catching everything in your criteria. So if you're looking for a townhouse and it's got to have three bedrooms and it's a rancher and it's got to be under 350000 bucks, then you're getting them all in one spot and you can very strategically kind of go through them online. And then once you start seeing properties that you really like, then you can kind of call your realtor back up and say, okay, I'm qualified, and I like these properties, and then we start searching properties. Okay? That kind of breaks down the qualification process. Yeah. Anything you want to add with that?
1: Well, and it's something that the clients give us their criteria. So they give us their price range, and they give us how many bedrooms and so on and square footage and area, and then we input that so that they're only targeting that essentially yeah right so you know if they ask us for a budget of 500 we're not going to go in there and throw in a budget of 800
0: no no absolutely and then you can you can also kind of I would manipulate the system just a little bit so if you were looking for a 350 and under you know I'd probably set you up on 375 just because I know that you know, a reduction may come or maybe something's been sitting on the market for 90 days and it's going to reduce and, or maybe you can negotiate it down
2: or or what have you. Right. Mm -hmm. You could have a star Mm -hmm. realtor that's expert in negotiations.
0: Yeah, you could.
2: Oh, Hey, that's you, Parker.
0: Oh, that's us. That's the team.
2: (laughs) I was looking at both of you when I said that. (laughs) Thanks Emma.
0: Okay. So we would move into the second province, sort of the central part of our equation. Um, which is the negotiation process. So once you found a property you like, you want to make an offer, and your realtor is going to put that on paper, okay, and you're going to physically present that offer to the seller, and and then you 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 start negotiating. So the seller is probably going to have um, a counter offer with different terms or different prices, or a different um, you know there there could be different components included in that deal you know dates. dates yeah dates for sure good one yep conditions dates um, and then you're going to go back and forth and that's a process that each individual kind of does differently like there, there's some different uh, like characteristics should I say of different realtors and how they how they work with other agents um, I would say in Kamloops would be probably a lot different than Vancouver uh, the bigger municipalities tend to have like a more formal way of doing that, whereas in Kamloops, a lot of the realtors deal with each other every so many you know weeks. They probably have negotiations that go on and 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 meetings they attend together, and, and it becomes like a smaller core group of people. So you can kind of understand, hey, this guy tends to negotiate in this style, that person that negotiates in this style, and that's really up to the to the realtor realtor, the agent that's representing that client to sort of pick and choose how best to negotiate for their client. Right. And realistically in a first time home buyer situation, probably best to put a lot of that stuff on paper and make sure everything's documented inside. Mm
1: -hmm. Which can get really messy on the contract. Hey Emma. Oh, it certainly can with
2: all those initial changes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of looks like a, a notepad from.
2: But you're doodling
0: on. Yeah. Something you're doodling on. Yeah. Um, Let's say you get to an accepted offer. That's, that's always a high five time. Yay. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the deposit. Maybe. So yeah.
1: I, I tend to do after subject removal. And then you're not dealing with like having a deposit that's coming in. And that if something happens during subject removal time that you're trying to get back.
0: Yeah. And that's a good way to do it. However, in a, I think that's a Kamloops thing. Yeah. I don't think it's practiced probably in a lot hey, of... Hey, but it. hang
1: on, we live in Kamloops.
0: Yeah, no, and I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I want the viewers or the listeners at home to understand that the deposit is really there to hold that contract in good faith between both parties. There's something on the line for the buyer. Right. In a, in a situation where there's maybe multiple offers or you're competing against other, other offers, the deposit becomes a bigger role. It shows kind of what the commitment level is to you in that deal. I would say most times it's probably a minimal amount of money. But if you're in Vancouver, you'd probably be putting 50 or even more, $50,000 right. down as a deposit. Probably be an average number. Yeah. In our area, would you say 5, 10 normal? Yeah. Yeah. Probably
1: more like 5, right? Yeah. Close just to our, five, median, yeah. our median house price is very different than Vancouver.
0: Yeah. So the deposit, just so everyone understands, the deposit is there. It goes towards the purchase price. But it is something initially that you need to come up with.
1: Right. Yeah. So and so that being said, you know, for some first time buyers coming up with 10, 15,000 is very significant, right? So if you're keeping it at that five, it's sort of more realistic, more attainable.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you get an accepted offer, you put your deposit down, the deposit's held in trust. Um, so they have the ability. Maybe just what I'll I'll talk about is, like, the performance of the contract. That's what the deposit is there for. A lot of people always wonder, you know, can I get the money back if I don't buy the house, right? Right. So in the contract, you have terms like subject to. Subject to home inspection, subject to getting approval, financing, maybe subject to getting insurance or reviewing some documents like strata documentation. The deposit says you are going to participate in this contract in good faith. And if you were to not participate in good faith, meaning you would remove subjects, but then not complete on the on the deal, that deposit would be up for grabs. Right. And technically, we'd still need to go through some lawyers and decide that, but it tends to be that deposit is not going back. So as long as you perform on your contract, that's fine. You don't buy the house because... It had termites, and you had a termite inspection. You found you didn't like the property, or or whatever. You get the money back.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, due diligence period. This is where you can start spending more money. Yeah. Last province, uh, due diligence. So you got an offer; it's accepted. You are moving forth with doing your fully. Maybe we should break down the difference between a pre-qualification for a mortgage and an actual approval.
1: Yeah. Because they can be different.
0: Yeah. Right? Well, the qualification, being pre-qualified for a mortgage means this person can make this payment. Yeah. But then you add a contract that says, this is the house that we're going to choose to make that payment on. The bank needs to approve the house as well. Um, And if you're, the difference being like, if you're going to buy a modular home. And let's say it's 40 years old and it's on a half acre and it's in the middle of the sticks and you're already at the maximum of your pre-qualified state, the bank's going to look at that property and go, I don't think so. Right. You know, Yeah. or maybe, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to get approved for the mortgage during your due diligence period for the particular house that you're actually putting the offer in. Yep. And that's pretty much the difference. So your bank says, Emma, you're good to, to buy something for $400,000. Cool. And you go out and you find yourself like a very conventional property at $400,000. It's probably going to go through smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. But if you buy an unconventional property, maybe a past grow up or uh, maybe a farm, which is technically a business. Or maybe you want to buy some real property because you have horses or you have plans for chickens or whatever. It's going to be a more difficult, challenging process for you to get approved for that. So that's just one of those components in that due diligence process that you need to take care of.
2: And that's where appraisals come in usually.
0: Yeah. And in most cases, you're going to pay for it. Mhm.
2: Yeah. So
0: you, you don't see that money. It's not like you're out of pocket right away. But your mortgage company is going to pay for that. And they're going to tack that on your mortgage.
1: Yeah. And if you went and got a pre-approval last year or six months ago, that's a different, you're in in a completely different ballgame, you know, six months ago compared to now. Things are changing all the time, right? Looking at interest rates, all the rest of it.
0: So, yeah. Okay. So you get approved for your mortgage. They say, yep, go ahead, move forward. Um, And by the way, that, that, that appraisal may cost 400 bucks. It may cost a thousand bucks. It just depends on the property, what's entailed and what kind of appraisal they're looking at. Right. Home inspection. You could spend as much money as you want on a home inspection. And by that, I mean like a typical single family dwelling home inspection, somewhere around 500 bucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a generalist walking through the home. They should be there for, you know, two to three hours, let's say on a single family dwelling. And evaluating the main critical components mechanically and structurally of that property. But they're not going to infrared scan the walls and look for gaps in insulation or potential water intrusion areas. Mm -hmm. They're not going to check for termites. Um, They're not going to do a complete roof evaluation. They do a very generalist job. So you could carry on and add in infrared scanning or a termite evaluation or you know, have a roof contractor come in to give a more exact, precise, expected life expectancy on the roof. You could do all those things. You're not going to hold your home inspector liable to generalizing something and then finding out that when you move in, maybe the stove doesn't work or it's not working very well. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's still risk
1: in buying a home. Right.
0: You can take a lot of the risk out, but you're never going to take it all out. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. still some level of risk when you purchase. And the better you get to knowing your house, or a house, or properties, just it becomes easier. Yeah. You become better at doing it. Right. Right.
1: But that's something that for first-time homebuyers, they need to know. Yeah. Right? That's part of managing the expectations that they have. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah, and understanding that just because you had a home inspection, it doesn't mean that you got warranty. Yeah. So when the, you know, right. when the furnace fails, you yeah. call the home inspector up and, and you, you're like hey, this 35-year-old furnace doesn't work anymore, and you're liable. Mm. So that's a really critical piece of information that they need to sort of understand. And the best way to, to teach them that is to explain to them what that home inspection is really, in, what it's really there for. But
1: yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's a generalist, and it's, it's very limited. Yeah. Um, insurance.
1: You need to go out and get a quote for that insurance, which can vary depending on your house, obviously.
0: I would say this right? is the one thing that happens the least, or, or should I say the one thing that's forgotten the most, mm-hmm. right, is mm-hmm. that on subject removal day, you are, you've are you got through your home inspection, you've gone through, you're, you're qualified for a mortgage, and you, you have no idea what it's going to cost for insurance. And the, the importance of that is that let's say you had aluminum wiring, or you had, um, may, maybe you live in rural property and you don't have fire protection. Yeah. Your insurance could be like way more than what you're expecting.
1: And that was obviously for us here in Kamloops, that was a huge issue for us this summer. Yeah. People getting insurance because of the wildfires. No, no people not getting insurance yep. because of the wildfires. Or, um...
0: Or how about, or how how about, about a recent really? experience on a lake?
1: Yeah. Um, really, really expensive insurance. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, like something like eight grand or something like that? Eight grand,
1: yeah. yeah. You know, custom log home.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so get your insurance quote. <laughs> kind of what we're saying. Yeah. And so you need the information from your home inspection really to get your insurance quote because then you can identify plumbing materials and age of roof and furnace and, you know, how structurally and mechanically the, the house is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that insurance quotes, like when you go to get your quote, they require um, information, right? So you need to have the time to get that information. That's why that subject removal is usually your, your two weeks or so, right? But, yeah. you know, like don't, don't do your insurance on the very last day of subject removal. No. You won't be able to get the information that the, company, the insurance company needs.
0: And here's a term that I, you know, that became more important this year was like having your insurance bound or boundable bindable yeah
1: all right yeah binding Binding?
0: yeah binding (laughs) just they they would bind this this insurance package meaning that they would it's kind of like an approval really
1: yeah Mm -hmm. it's
0: it's a little more serious than just walking in and getting a quote and they're like yeah it should be you know between four and five hundred dollars because if there was a fire going on within now this is just what happened this year within a 50 kilometer radius of that house sure your insurance would be 450 dollars, or $900 or whatever. I'm just using some numbers just randomly. But we wouldn't give you insurance right now.
1: (laughs) Right. Yes.
0: So you can't get uh, a mortgage if you don't have house insurance or fire insurance for that matter. Um, Discovering title. How fun is that?
1: (sighs) It's super fun. Yeah. It's my favorite thing to do.
0: Legal language written in another language
2: yes
1: that
0: is not really understandable
2: right it's not even English
0: no it's definitely not English no (laughs) I can read about 15 words in a row and I have to stop and remember what it is that I'm even doing
2: (laughs) and the best thing about those is you can get ones that are up to 50 pages long
0: yeah and in that 50 pages there may only be one paragraph of really usable information
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like there's an easement on this property.
1: Yeah. But then there's like 500 covenants and you have to know what each of those covenants are. So you have to pull each of those covenants and figure it out. Yeah. When you pull them, then you still can't read them. So you've pulled title. Then then you have to go ahead and pull covenants,
0: right? And sometimes you got to pull lawyers, maps and surveys. Lawyers. Yeah.
1: Right? Land and Lawyers times. understand legal language.
0: So here here's one of those should I sell my house privately deals? You know, maybe as a buyer, you don't want to buy a house privately because I promise you, you would never look at the legal description of the property and find out what kind of legal charges are on that property. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people just think the charges of significance are financial charges, being mortgages, liens. um, But realistically, the charges of any significance... To its value could be easements you know somebody might have the right way down the backyard of your house and you might think that it's your property but bc gas might be showing up or
1: yeah
0: or sorry terracin for that matter might yeah. show up and be tearing your fence down because they need access through your backyard
1: right right
0: and that does affect the value of your property
1: yep for sure mm-hmm. yeah for sure
0: so those costs are usually absorbed by realtors
1: First yes. time homebuyer doesn't yeah. physically
0: pay those costs. Right. They can be expensive. They can be a couple hundred bucks. Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, let's say you get through all your process. You get approved for your mortgage, you get approved for your home inspection, you're, you're happy with it, you get a good quote, and the, the, the things on title you're comfortable with. And you say it's time to go put a sold sign up. That is removing your conditions,
2: subject removal.
0: Subject removals. A couple terms we use. Those are the first set of dates that are really important in the contract. Mm-hmm. Right?
1: And, and you need to have a minimum number of days to get that completed. You can't yeah. do subject removal in three days.
0: Not unless you're taking some risks.
1: Yes. Big risks. You know, True.
0: You know, you might have a pocket full of cash, so you might be really comfortable with your mortgage, but you may not get a home inspection done. Right. You may not, you may not be have time to get to land titles and pull yeah. pull covenants and easements that may be on a property.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so when you remove conditions, that's really when you've committed to firmly buying your property. And that's when your deposit becomes like a firm deposit, whereas you're not getting it back. It's going towards the purchase price of your home, or it could be up for grabs if you don't perform the right. final function, which mm-hmm. is finish paying for the property. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then we, we now we now we need to choose a lawyer and a lawyer is going to cost money. And that's going to be a cost to a buyer and a seller for that matter. But first time home buyers need to, to choose a lawyer. Let's talk briefly the difference between a lawyer and a notary. I like to think that um, I recommend lawyers over notaries. And really, to break it down, and this is probably, if there's a like a lawyer or a notary like probably listening to this, they're probably going to be laughing, but this is how I see it.
1: <laughs> You're going to be getting a call tomorrow. Yeah, this, is, this is how
0: Parker sees this. A notary can convey a property. They have the ability and the skills to properly convey a property. But if there's an issue, they're done. And so you might be paying for a notary to do something. and Paying a, less. I, I wouldn't even say it's less. Mm-hmm. I would say the, the less is that's something that happened in the past and today, I would say it's the same price. If you have a 30-year-old lawyer doing your transaction for you, it's going to be more money. Yeah. But in most cases, most law firms have a three or four-year-old lawyer that three is... Three or
1: four years old? Ha, well... Wow. <laughs> Prodigy child. Three, three or kidding. four
0: years in the business, <laughs> right? They, they charge by years of experience. Yeah. So... Yes. you know, if so you have someone under five years as a lawyer and they're doing convincing for... for um, for real estate, it's going to be pretty much a flat fee Mm. and it's going to be similar to what a notary pays. But the value is that if, if on the day you go to close, there's an issue, meaning money doesn't transfer properly, um, or your mortgage company has an issue, they're going to, they're going to play baseball with you. They're going to be, they're going to, they're going to go to bat for you. Right. And it's a smooth, easy transition. A lot of cases, you're not really paying a whole lot of money for that. Whereas a notary has no ability to do it and they're just gonna wash their hands of it and recommend a lawyer. Right. So
1: Oh, my take on that is that uh my dad was a lawyer, so I recommend a lawyer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's go with a lawyer.
1: I, I wouldn't be allowed to recommend. I'd have a strong push for a lawyer. Okay. Okay. Lawyer it is, everybody.
0: Yep, we're going with a lawyer. <laughs> and then you're gonna and we're also gonna go with a realtor over for sale boner. Yes. Yep. There's a lot of represent. There's a lot of stuff to know, right? There sure is. <clears throat> um, I'm just like craving some of the pretzels right now with the salt on it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we had Dairy Queen for dinner. Dessert first, dilly bars, then d- then dinner. Yeah. Best way to live: dessert first. Dessert mm-hmm.
0: first. Yeah, eat the good stuff first.
1: Oh, sorry, totally off topic.
0: Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> okay, then you're gonna sign. You're gonna sign some papers at the lawyers um, just before you complete. And you're going to have, what's your next fee, closing costs, a statement of adjustments. And the statement of adjustments is going to be all your fees that you're going to incur in the purchase process, all kind of bundled up, uh, minus the home inspection uh, portion of it. So you're going to pay for your lawyer in the statement of adjustments. Let's say for real ease of numbers, you're buying a house for 100000 bucks and you've put $10,000 as a deposit meaning you owe 90 okay your lawyer's going to charge you let's say 1,000 bucks just for ease of numbers i'm not quoting that. i'm not quoting a lawyer's fee right now but let's say 1,000 bucks which would be pretty close yeah. pretty close to yeah. accurate. Mm-hmm. yeah so you're going to be now you now you owe 91,000 bucks and let's say at some point in the season just to, for argument's sake if you were purchasing a home in august you would need to pay, you would need to adjust for the seller because they're gonna pay the property taxes for that entire year. And they're gonna pay from January to December but they're gonna pay for that physically July 1st. Yeah. So you're gonna owe the seller because they're gonna prepay the property taxes for that year
1: Mm -hmm.
0: for five months. Right. That's gonna be in the statement of adjustments. Yeah. So let's just use easy numbers and I know this is not gonna be an accurate number but let's just say a thousand bucks was your property tax for the year. You're gonna owe the seller you know, 400 bucks-ish, Yeah, ish, okay? That's probably going to be double that. Mm-hmm. So now you're up to 91400 and that's about it. As a first-time homebuyer, you're most likely not going to be paying property transfer tax, but property transfer tax is 1% of the first 200000 and 2% of the balance, but there is first-time homebuyers that don't qualify for that. If you're buying a house for... Seven hundred and fifty thousand is your first-time home buyer. You don't get you don't get that benefit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're just like you're too rich.
1: Yep. You, too
0: <laughs> you don't get the benefit. Or maybe you're not a Canadian citizen, um, or you, maybe you haven't been in Canada long enough. And I'm not going to legally talk about all those kind of areas that are outside of my field. But if you'd hire a lawyer, they would definitely discover that for you.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's say you're buying a $300,000 house, let's say townhouse is probably more realistic. Yeah. How much money do you need? That's what the seller wants to know.
1: Exactly. The, the seller? You mean the buyer?
0: The, the Sorry, the buyer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The buyer's going to need to know how much money do I need in my account yeah. before I can phone up a realtor and say, yeah, I think I want to start house shopping. Right. Okay. So you're going to need that deposit money up front. You're buying a $300,000 house. You're, you don't have $300,000 in your bank account. Mm-hmm. But you, let's say you have 5% down. So you're going to have 15 grand as a down payment. Yep. And you're going to need, that's just to get your mortgage. And then you're going to need to close on top of that. Yep. I would suggest you would need somewhere in the area of an additional twenty-five to $3,000. So $300,000 piece of property, and you plan on putting 5% down, you're going to need somewhere around 18000 bucks. Extra, yeah. 18000 bucks gets you your down payment, 5%, and then your closing costs.
1: Yeah. Can I just say something about yeah. that? We were talking about this um, the other day as well, um, quite often with first-time home buyers there's um, a gifting from parents or somewhere where that deposit is coming from or where that down payment is coming from. And um, that needs to be established up front. Right. Because sometimes it's, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll give you X amount of dollars, and it turns out that it's not that. So that affects everything down the line from right. that. Yeah, right?
0: like affecting their pre-qualification process.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So... You know, if someone has said, if your parents or whoever it is has said, we're, we're gifting you this deposit, we're gifting you, um, 5% down, whatever it is that needs to be like solid, right?
0: Yeah. What if we, I want you to draw on your experiences and I want you to take out like the most ridiculous notion that you've had as a, from a first time home buyer.
1: Oh,
0: like a scenario where you're just like, that's just not how it works. Because <laughs> I got one, so I'll, maybe I'll show you Okay, mine. you
1: go, because I'm just trying to think. Because okay. I've had three in the last little bit. So So I then,
0: recently yeah. had one where, you know, a guy phones me up and says, I really like this house you have listed, and I want to go look at it. And normally I wouldn't just jump on a bus and show somebody a property. I'm just saying a bus because that just sounds better. But I'm, <laughs> I'm not just going to jump in my truck and go show a property just because, you know, you say you're interested, but in this specific scenario, it just worked out really good for my schedule, and so I decided, hey, it seems like a nice enough guy. I'm gonna go out there, and am show him the property, and then I'll school him on the process. At this point, he hasn't told me he's a first-time homebuyer, so I get to the house. You know, really lovely couple, and they love this house, and and they're like, okay, well, what do we do? So I, you know, I, t- I take him through the map and I, I show him the process and you know, I'm excited for them. They love this house, right? First step, I go and take them into a mortgage broker. And I said, okay, you are going to sit down with these guys and you're going to kind of walk through, you know, your financial obligations for this property and what kind of obligations you already have and see if this is going to be even remotely something that that you could do. And they come back to me and they're like, we're pre-approved for a $40,000 mortgage. And I'm like, I'm hoping you got like 360 in your bank <laughs> Dude, account.
1: <yeah. laughs>
0: because we're looking at a $400,000 piece of property.
1: Did they forget a zero?
0: I, yeah, I just, I mean, like, it, it was really, so it was a good, it was a good experience for them because they got to like really identify where they should be at. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that that mortgage broker, in fact, I know that mortgage broker, would will put them on the right track on a plan so that maybe, maybe not tomorrow, but maybe in a year, three years, five years, they're going to be set up to be able to buy a piece of property that, that works for them.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, that, that's my best one. <laughs> but I, I also think like the word managing expectations is probably another one that would, would closely simulate that in that, you know, a, a buyer, first time home buyer too typically, you know, buying a piece of property and then just really not understanding on move-in day, what the expectations would look like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe, right. the, gra- maybe the grass is, hasn't been cut. And that's just something that just doesn't seem right to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe right. it isn't right. You know, maybe the seller should have done a better job of, you know, cutting the grass or cleaning up or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And I mm-hmm. think that's kind of where a, a good real estate agent would be able to handle that expectations and then being able to provide the service so that when they move in, It's just a great experience.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, But that being said, I mean, how many times have we gone into a house or have we called up a cleaning service and said, okay, let's do this for our clients, right? Because you still want, you want them to be happy when they move in on moving day. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I look back to my first move in and I was just clueless. Mm. I mean, it was a long time ago. I was super young when I bought my first piece of property, but I had no idea about anything. I mean my reels were just really stick handled the whole thing. And it was so seamless that I didn't learn anything, you know, because it just it was just perfect. You know, I just mm-hmm. get a phone call and I'd have the next project to do, right? Right. Go yeah. see a bank, yeah, done. I can I can set yeah. that up.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and that's really what a good agent would do. Now it would be ideal if you plan on buying and selling some property in your future to kind of get a handle on what that process is gonna look like so that you're kind of
1: mm-hmm.
0: prepared or, mm-hmm. or ready. Mm-hmm. Most of the bad experiences that people tell me about having dealt with a realtor that, you know, just it, it did, wasn't a good experience purchasing this home. It usually comes down to the realtor not really walking through the process comfortably mm-hmm. or leaving out gaps in in the system and sort of just assuming that, you know, a buyer or seller would know that, yeah. you know, you got to go to a bank and figure out whether or not you can get this financing yeah. as opposed to like showing up on subject removal day and saying, hey, are you good?
1: Yeah. Are we good to move forward? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is just assuming that they know what they're doing, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Everybody's just assuming that everyone else knows what they're doing, but no one's, you know, what they say about assuming, right?
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we're allowed to say that on here. What? Maybe. You know what actually is, um, I've had um, several uh, elderly clients and for me, they're like, first-time homebuyers again. Yeah. Because, you know, they bought their house 40 years ago on a handshake. Yeah. So um, walking them through the process has been like like a first-time homebuyer. Yeah. It's actually been – I love my elderly clients. They're so cute. I I really love working with them. But it, it is. It's taking them through that whole process and explaining it and, you know, like now you have to do this or now you have to do that. Whoa, 40 years ago we didn't have to do that, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, forty years ago, we just sort of shook a hand and Handshake. said, yeah, "We'll buy it." Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. totally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, all uh, all good and good. Well, sh- you know, should we have a homebuyer seminar?
1: Yes, let's do it. Should we
0: have some people like?
1: Yes. You know what? If I was a, well, when I was a first-time homebuyer, I would have totally appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I did. I went into it completely green. Um, my my realtor was good though. But still, having that information for myself, educating myself, I would have loved that. Let's yeah, do it.
0: Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll work that out, Am and I that's your next that project.
2: <laughs> all right, I'll get on that.
1: Perfect. We love you, Emma.
2: <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, just say do. that because I do all your paperwork.
1: I, yes, you do. And I still love you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you want to be loved, Philippa Thesin is definitely the realtor for you.
1: She <laughs> loves her clients.
0: Loves her. St- she loves her helpers.
1: Seriously. Uh, my elderly clients are the cutest things ever. Like I, maybe that's my niche. I think it's your niche. Yeah?
0: Yeah, everyone's got a niche. Okay. Mine would be like wilderness exploring type properties.
2: Or oh, they they mu- rural properties.
1: Yes, rural. They must have a goat's head. No, I,
0: I yeah. <laughs> there, would,
1: <laughs> there would have to be antlers <laughs> on the door
0: of a shed or, you know, a big wood pile outside. Right, yeah. I think that would enjoy it, but I don't think that would be, like, the favorable properties. To <laughs> this is very time-consuming. But at the same time, I sort of think that I do have a niche for those properties. hmm I agree. Any Any closing thoughts, Emma?
2: Not particularly.
0: Any, like, astounding, like, ideas that have come into your head since we've had this discussion?
2: Not really. Just the fact that even though I've been doing this for a while, I'm still constantly learning, like... I mean, it doesn't matter if you've been in the industry for 10 years or for 10 minutes, like there's always something new to learn because everything's changing. So, I mean, even just sitting here, I've learned stuff from you guys and, you know, I work with you guys. So. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think it ever, it ever really stops. There's always those aha moments
2: mm-hmm.
0: when you sort of figure something else out and you're like, Hey, this is, you know,
1: this is a value. Right. Yeah. Right. And you can kind of bring that to your clients too. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my closing thoughts. Yeah. You told me this is going to be 10 minutes. Well, what are we at?
2: We're like over an hour. Huh, what? Are we really?
0: No. No, it can't be.
2: It's 7 o'clock.
0: Okay. All right, <laughs> let's wrap it up. My closing qu- my closing thoughts is that, yeah, i got to eat some dinner.
2: <laughs> and on that
1: professional note.
0: All right, we'll see you next time.